All right, good morning. Uh, I am glad you are here. Oh, there's some participation. I walked in this this is just a side note, but this morning I walked in and like oh, everybody was up here. It felt like there was a, a new sense of energy in the room and I'm loving it. Maybe I had too much coffee too. Um, but my name is Ruth Zilka and I am a member of the teaching team and I am really honored because I get to continue in our series in Genesis this morning as we look at chapter 16. So our text today is a story about some lacking faith some impatience, a little bit of pettiness, and I would even go so far as to say a little girl drama, okay? So doesn't that sound really uplifting and encouraging? Uh, But even with those not so positive themes that we are going to see, I truly believe that there are lessons for us to learn and believe that God has a message of encouragement for us this morning. So we just heard an overview, Malik just read it for us, and my guess is that you maybe could see where I pulled some of those themes from, from which parts and which verses. And in some ways, this this chapter maybe feels a little bit like a soap opera. Um, And now since I am a a fan of the uh, the TV show Friends, I guess I would say I would be impartial to Days of Our Lives. If you've ever seen the TV show, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Even though I have never actually watched that show ever. Uh, Days of Our Lives, not Friends. So, but we're gonna see a story that is full of drama and some bad choices. And the thing that I was thinking as I was studying, preparing for this, I find it a little bit ironic that I get to teach this chapter because I personally have spent much of my life trying to avoid drama. Conflict makes me uncomfortable. I do not like it. And I was the girl in high school that hung out with mostly guys because I didn't want to deal with girl drama, uh, which I do have to say that didn't end up turning out so bad for me because I ended up marrying one of those guys that I hung out with. (laughs) But even in the drama, in the impatience and the lack of faith, we can learn something this morning and find encouragement in what God has for us today. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive into our text. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word this morning. God, thank you for just the the things that you have taught me as I have studied and prepared for this sermon. God, I thank you for the truth um, and the, the good news of the gospel that we can see within this text. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have to teach us this morning. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I, I just want to be the vessel that gets used for you to proclaim your truth. So God, I pray that that would be the case and that you would, you would help us to see and to hear the, the areas that we need to, to change in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would move and lead this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start reading in Genesis 16, verse 1. So it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along with me there or grab your Bibles. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So this first verse lets us know the players in today's text. But before we keep going, I want to do a little bit of review and reminding ourselves What just happened in the previous chapter before we go any further? So in chapter 15, which Tim taught last week, God tells Abram in verse 1, do not 
be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. The Lord goes on in this chapter to promise Abram that he will have an heir of his own flesh and blood and that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky, which we can translate to a lot, a lot of offspring. And Abram's response was belief. And he, we read in Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So last week, Tim talked about how this verse describes Abram's righteousness or his right standing with God and how we can see the gospel in this verse. How Abram's belief and trust in the fact that the Lord is who he says he is, is what made him right with God. A right relationship with God is based on faith. The deep-rooted trust and confidence that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. Abram believed God at his word, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Chapter 16, which we're going to study today, picks up the story of Abram 10 years later. After 10 years of waiting for God's promise of an heir to be fulfilled. So we're going to start reading again in verse 2. So she, and this is referring to Sarai, said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So you may be thinking, uh, what? Why is Sarai doing this? How is this a good solution to your problem? But during this time, barrenness or the inability to have children was seen as a divine judgment against a woman. And it was a very common practice for a woman to give a servant girl to her husband as his wife so that she could have a family through this, her servant. And a child born to a servant girl would, would have been considered the wife's first child. This practice was referred to as surrogate marriage or a servant wife. And while this was a common and acceptable practice for this time and location, it doesn't mean it was the best or even the right choice for Sarai and Abram to make. So let's pause and take a look at, at all of the facts that we have for just a minute, okay? When God made his promise to Abram, according to what we can read in the text, he was only married to Sarai. And the text does not mention him being married to anyone else. So if we were going to use some deductive reasoning, one could assume, even though the text does not directly say this, that God was going to fulfill his promise, promise through both Abram and Sarai. However, it appears that Sarai got tired of waiting and she decided to take things into her own hands. <laughs> she used an acceptable social practice of the day to help fulfill what God had promised. She used a worldly custom in her own timing as a substitute for a miraculous work of God in his perfect timing. 
Just because something is socially or culturally acceptable does not mean it is part of God's plan or his desire for our lives. And it does not mean that it is the best thing for us. We see later throughout scripture the strife that comes between the two nations that will descend from Abram's heirs. Isaac, that's a little spoiler for later on in the the book, and Ishmael, who we see in this chapter today. Sarai's attempt to solve the problem and push God's promise through in her own timing caused hostility even thousands of years later. How often do we use a socially or culturally acceptable substitute for, what the, for the work of God in our lives? What worldly comfort do we run to before we run to the Lord? Are we trying to make things and take things into our own hands and make them happen in our own perfect, what we think perfect timing because we want things to happen faster instead of waiting on God and his perfect timing. Now, when we do this, we can miss out on watching God do the miraculous and the seemingly impossible. Or, as in the case of Sarai, we can also cause ourselves unnecessary pain and strife. So let's see what the end of verse 2 has to say and see... um, how this choice is going to work out and this lack of faith that will end up producing some hardship. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. All right, so that's the end of verse two. So before we keep going again, we have got to talk about Abram for a second. Okay, so you remember that faith that we just reviewed and talked about in chapter 15? All right, we saw that faith demonstrated in chapter 15 and it seems like this faith, maybe it perhaps has faded. Abram simply agrees with his wife. While we don't know that the thought process that went on through his head when he was presented with this idea, we can see a lack of leadership when he simply just agrees. Until this point, from what we can tell, Abram had been a monogamous man having only one wife. And if we go back to our deductive reasoning that we were using before, God made this promise for an heir to Abram when he only had Sarai. Now, we don't know the full context of this conversation. We can only know and fully understand what scripture tells us. But it appears that Sarai and Abram are taking matters into their own hands. They have come up with a culturally acceptable way to allow God's plan to be fulfilled. Now we don't see Abram stopping Sarai and reminding her of God's promise and what the circumstances were when God made that promise. We can see now how they might have been able to justify this decision. Or maybe another way of of looking at this is how they were able to convince themselves that what they were doing was okay. Because we've probably all done this ourselves, justified our actions. But just because we can justify something does not make it right. Right. 
So let's think through some of these possible justifications that they might have had in their internal dialogue with themselves as they made this decision. And see how they might have been able to convince themselves that this was a just fine choice. Okay, first, this was a culturally acceptable practice, like we've, I've mentioned before. And no one in their community would have looked down upon them or judged them for this decision. Now, for Sarai, there was a certain level of sacrifice in this decision. She was willing to give up being Abram's only wife. And she was willing to admit that she could not give Abram what he wanted so badly, an heir. So she provided a solution to this problem. Now for Abram, he could have justified this potentially uh, because according to what we read in chapter 15, God promised Abram an heir of his own flesh and blood, but God does not specifically say that this heir would be born of Sarai. But even with these practical justifications, they are still taking matters into their own hands. They're still saying, ah, we got it. And we don't see them seeking the will of the Lord in this situation. We just see them using a worldly substitute to fulfill God's plan. Now I know in my own life, there have been times where I have justified my actions based on what the world finds acceptable. I've justified my anger when someone else's actions and decisions have negatively impacted my life. And I've also justified my cold shoulder when my character has been put into question. I have justified my lack of faith and desire for things to just happen right now because I want instant results and convinced myself that it wasn't a lack of faith, but instead just creative problem solving. But we will see as we pick up our story back again in verse 3 that our creative problem solving is often just a lack of trust and faith that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So I want to discuss this, this term mistress for a second because the meaning of this is not the meaning that we are accustomed to today. Instead, this is what it means. It means it's defined as a woman master who has a degree of authority over something. Okay, so I want to make sure we're all on the same page about what this word means because it's going to impact our story as we move forward. So Sarai had authority over Hagar since Hagar was her servant. So let's see how this continues to play out. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she know that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarai is straight up blaming Abram. Okay, she is blaming him for the strife that she is now suffering. But let's remember back to whose idea this was in the first place. It was hers. 
okay? Sarai's beginning to see the consequences to the decision that she made and her problem solving. And she is placing the blame on someone else. Oh, how you and I can be just like Sarai. Now, anyone with a sibling or a cousin or a friend or any other human interaction as a child knows how to play this game, all right? It wasn't me, it was her. It's not my fault, it was his. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, it's like the the time that one of my children, who will remain nameless because they're both sitting in here, cut their hair with a pair of scissors. The claim of innocence started with a denial that the act even happened in the first place, even though there was a lock of hair on the floor right next to the pair of scissors. Um, And then they quickly moved into a full-blown sibling blame game. If you have a sibling, you know what I'm talking about. Each party claimed innocence and would not budge. So, in all of our parenting wisdom, Kyle and I told our children that they could not come out of their room until they had decided who had done it. (laughs) And we gave what I consider to be a very convincing speech about how we should make right choices, we shouldn't blame other people for our mistakes, and we need to, you know, be loving and kind. We closed the door and allowed the sibling negotiations to begin. So Kyle and I also tried to listen through the door so we could figure out who had done it. And after what felt like an eternity and also several more rounds of uh, continuing to blame the other person, the guilty party finally fessed up. We can all be so quick to blame someone else when things aren't going our way. Or even worse, we can be quick to blame God or to assume that he has left us in our time of need. But our actions have consequences. And things get messed up when we try to take over and play God. Problems arise when we lack faith and when we lack a willingness to wait on God's timing. So let's see how Abram responds in verse 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Sarai blames Abram, and Abram avoids responsibility by telling Sarai to do whatever she thinks is best. This is like the ultimate hands up in the air, it's not my problem, kind of a moment. And in the midst of all of this, we have Hagar, the servant girl who was thrown into this big old dramatic situation and who is also causing some of the drama herself. Now, perhaps Hagar felt like she had a little bit more uh, clout and power since she held a new uh, role in Abram's family, a new servant wife role, and she was carrying his first blood heir. But even with this new role in Abram's household, she had what sounds like a pretty bad attitude towards Sarai. So what does Hagar do? She gets the heck out of there, 
okay? Because she is being so mistreated. And now she is a pregnant single mother with nothing in the middle of the desert, okay? But God sees Hagar and an angel of the Lord speaks to her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Hagar is found by an angel of the Lord in her distress and mess. Now, Scripture is not 100% clear who this angel is, but we know that it was God in human form because Hagar has a conversation with the angel of the Lord. Many believe this could have been the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before he came to earth as a baby. But whomever Hagar is interacting with, the one thing we do know is that she is speaking with the God Most High and he cares deeply for her. He loves her. And he cares about her problems. So let's see what else the angel of the Lord tells Hagar. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Hagar was running away from her problems. And running away from our problems rarely solves them. Hagar is instructed to return to Sarai, to face her problems and change her attitude towards her mistress. No matter how justified she might have felt in her response, she was called to go back and to submit. Hagar's life was impacted by the choices of others, but she was still called to go back and to submit. Even though she was mistreated, she was still called to change her attitude towards Sarai. Now, there may be times in our lives when the actions of others greatly impact us. And when we might feel justified in our actions, our anger, or our own mistreatment of others. But this is not what we are called to do. We are called to love, to forgive, and to treat others with a Christ-like love. However, we cannot do this in our own strength. Or at least we can't for very long. We need Jesus. We need him to change our hearts, to help us to forgive, and to help us love with a Christ-like love. Now, I know for myself, I have really been learning this lesson over the past three, four months or so. And I was really struggling with anger towards others due to some questionings of my character and also because of some decisions that other people were making that were really impacting my life. I spent a lot of time justifying my anger and judgment until I realized that anger was overtaking my mind and hardening my heart. And the Lord convicted me that, of these things. And I began to pray 
that God would help me to forgive and would change my heart toward those who had hurt me. And slowly, very slowly, my heart began to change. And the Lord began to help me to forgive and to let go of my heart. Now, I wish I could tell you that I am not tempted at all to relive these moments of hurt and to allow my anger to boil up again. But through the work of the Holy Spirit and his gentle reminders, I can now more quickly take those thoughts captive and ask that the Lord will help me to forgive again. Now, I know that this heart change is a work from the Lord. Because according to the world, I should have not had to forgive. And I was fully justified in my anger. But that is not a Christ-like response. And I, I do not deserve the grace and forgiveness that I am given through Jesus' work on the cross I deserve death for my sins. But God in all of his love and grace and mercy made a way for me to be justified through the finished work of Jesus. So let's see what else the angel of the Lord has to say to Hagar. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord had hurt, has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So um, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how I would feel if I was told this about my unborn child. Okay? <laughs> I mean, let's think about this. I mean, things start great, right? Like you're having a, a baby, you're going to name him Ishmael, and things go south real quick, okay? Uh, but later in Scripture, we're going to see that, in fact, this does happen in Ishmael's life. But this is the thing. I love Hagar's response is so beautiful. And we're going to see her faith and her trust in the Lord in her response. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Beer Lahai Roy, and it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar was heading in the direction of Egypt, perhaps back towards her relatives, but she was in a desolate wilderness that was very dangerous, and she was all alone. She most likely would not have survived the journey had the angel of the Lord not appeared to her and saved her by telling her to go back and to submit. The Lord communicated with Hagar and she trusted the Lord in a way that even Abram and Sarai didn't at this point. And now we see how the Lord saved her. She encountered the God most high and she was different. She was changed and she was seen and known by him. Hagar realized that the creator of the universe saw her. He saw her in all of her distress and her mess and he cared. And God does the same for us. He sees us in our pain, in our distress, in our hardship. 
And not only does he see us, he loves us far more than we will ever, ever be able to comprehend. And not only does he love us, he sent his one and only son to this earth to live a perfect and sinless life, to die the death that you and I both deserved and to defeat death by rising again. Hagar went from being a mistreated, runaway, pregnant servant wife who maybe didn't have the best response to her master to a woman who had seen the one who saw her. Now Hagar returned to Sarai and we can read how things end in verse 15 and 16. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and he called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore him, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Wow, that's really old. The name Ishmael means God hears. God saw and heard Hagar's situation, and he does the same for us. Even when we feel mistreated or thrown into the middle of other people's mess, or even if we feel like life just really stinks, God sees it all and he hears us. Hagar's willingness to return was her faith in action. Abram and Sarai's plan to produce an heir through Hagar showed their lack of faith and impatience to wait on God's perfect timing. Now last week, um, Tim defined faith as when our belief leads to trust and it is exercised. When belief leads to trust and it is exercised. And do you remember what he said faith is not? It's not wishful thinking. It's not manifest your destiny, and it's not a reward for trying harder. Faith requires trust and provides us an opportunity to produce perseverance. James 1, 2 through 8 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We should consider it pure joy when we face trials. Because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. We should not look for a solution to our problems or a quick fix or a way out like Sarai and Abram. We should be willing to walk through the valleys of life to allow trials to shape us and grow us and to teach us more about Jesus. Accepting counterfeit, culturally acceptable solutions to our trials 
will only cause us to be like the waves of the sea, tossed about by the wind. And what if instead of being tossed and blown like the waves of the sea, that the prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus was our prayer for ourselves and for others? Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do measurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Abram and Sarai lost sight of the fact that God is the God of what feels impossible in our human understanding. God is capable of doing far more than we could ever imagine. Not so that we have like a genie in the bottle that gives us whatever we want, but so that we can step back and give him all of the glory and the praise when we walk through something that was hard and feels impossible. But here's the thing, we cannot forget that faith is required and we can't just expect instant faith growth. So if you know me well, you know that there are several things that I really love, okay? One is being uh, miniatures, uh, mini shampoos, mini perfumes, mini spatula, anything mini. I, I, th- I think they're adorable. They're like a complete waste of money, but there's, I love them, okay? Which really has nothing to do with my point, but um, now you know a little bit more about me. Okay, another thing that I love is to cook. And my absolute favorite is cooking for other people and gathering them in my home. And another thing that I really love is a good deal, okay? Anything, um, anything that's on sale. So after, uh, another thing is that if I can find something for cooking that is on sale, that's like meshing together all of my loves in one, all right? So I'm all about getting something on sale or at a discounted price. And it's the best when it's something for cooking and my kitchen. So for me, there are several days each year that allow this perfect combination of things that I love to come true. One being Black Friday and the other is Prime Day. We just had it. I have a show and tell. One second. Bear with me. Okay. This is also something else I got on sale, my bag from Amazon. All right, okay, let's see here. This is my Instant Pot, okay? 
I got this on sale last year on Prime Day. And it was, oh, it was such a good deal, okay? And I use this thing all the time. And I'm constantly telling other people how awesome it is and that my Instant Pot can cook pasta in four minutes, it can make chicken tacos in 20 minutes, and it literally makes the most perfect hard-boiled eggs where the, the shell just like falls off. Okay, if you have an Instant Pot and you didn't know that, you should try. Trust me, you'll thank me. Instant gratification when it comes to cooking is an awesome benefit for my family. Okay, especially I'm a teacher. When I'm working in the school year, my favorite thing in the kitchen and we can benefit from it. Now I promise I'm not like an Instant Pot affiliate and I do have a point. Uh, I think sometimes we treat the process of deepening our faith like an Instant Pot. We want instant results. We want the process to be over as quickly and painlessly as possible. We want to avoid all the hard work, all of the steps, and all of the time that goes into building a relationship with the God Most High and submitting to Him so that He can build our faith and walk us through whatever we need to experience in life in order to deepen our faith and trust in Him. Faith provides an opportunity to produce perseverance. It isn't microwavable or instant potable, okay? It takes time, it takes trust, it takes submission, and it takes a belief backed by action as we acknowledge that we are saved by grace through faith. So often in our walk, we wanna jump from peak to peak from spiritual high to spiritual high, and we want to skip the valleys. But it is in the valleys of life that we can learn the most about God and his character. It is in the valleys that we watch God build perseverance in us as we trust and obey and have faith that he will walk us through whatever trial that valley is going to bring. If we skip from peak to peak, we miss opportunities to deepen our faith, to deepen our relationship with the Lord. And we also, we rob our community of an opportunity to support us, to pray for us, to walk with us, to trust God as we put our faith into action. I know for me, the last couple of weeks have been really crazy, which of course, that always happens right before I teach. Um, but I have watched my community show up in incredible ways. And it's because I was willing to say, this really, really stinks. Life is really hard right now. And I need you to pray for me. And people have been checking in. I've been caring for my grandma who's 92 and she's been in the hospital and it's just been a lot. But people have cared. And I have to be willing to walk through that valley because you know what? I'm gonna turn around when I'm back up on that mountaintop again and I'm gonna see what God did and I can praise him for it. We serve a God whose love is deeper and wider than we will ever be able to comprehend. A God who sees us in our darkest hour and saves us. We serve a God who is asking us to trust and obey to live out true faith 
where our belief leads to trust, which leads to action. Our text today shows us two reactions to hardship in life. We have Abram and Sarai, who decided that faith looked like hearing from from God, but then the rest was up to them. But we got it. I got it. Approach. And then we have Hagar, who interacted with God, turned her plans to flee around, and went and obediently submitted to her master. We need to be willing to walk the longer, harder road that may have some unexpected twists and turns through the valleys of life so that when we get to that peak, we can look back and we can see all that we have learned about Jesus and how much we need him every second of every single day. And we can give him all of the praise and the honor and the glory that he is due. Faith requires us to acknowledge that we need a savior, that we cannot save ourselves, and that we are willing to trust and obey. So I leave you with this question to ponder. Are we willing to turn from our current ways to submit and to be faithful in whatever God is asking us to do? And may we find joy in the journey of watching God increase our faith as our belief leads to trust that is exercised in all areas of our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible story of Hagar and Sarai and Abram and all that we can learn from each of these uh, people. God, we thank you for the ways that you saw Hagar in her distress. And God, you cared deeply. Father, I ask that we would be willing to walk through those difficult valleys, Lord, and to trust that you will deepen our faith. May we not look at our faith like something that can happen instantly, but instead, maybe, may we be willing to watch you change our hearts, to ask that you would do that. And God, at the end, when we can turn around and see all that you have done, that we would give you the glory and the honor because you are due all of it. God, I pray that as we continue in worship this morning, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, to lead us and guide us. And God, may you get all the, the glory. In your name I pray, amen.